Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, and today I'm so excited about the conversation that we're going to have with Beth Guggenberger, who I've been a longtime fan of, of our work in the mission space and the ministry space. And so I'm so excited to have Beth here with us today. Beth, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Rachel. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Well, you know, one of the things, Beth, that we are just finishing up on the podcast is we've been going through the book of Matthew and we've been talking about the Great Commission. And I think that's such a natural segue into your book because your book is called Warrior of Eden. And it is such a refreshing experience to read through and have an understanding of the true biblical idea of of women. And as I was sharing with you just a couple of minutes ago, it's different than your other books. As somebody that has read some of your other books, I found this one to be a little bit different. So I wanted to maybe just talk for a couple minutes about what inspired you to write this book and what kind of led you to explore this concept that you unpack in the book. Oh, that's a great question. And and a good story. So you're right for your listeners that I've never met before. I've been writing about my life as a missionary, as someone who has a very large family, and someone who's traveled to Israel. I find I love Psalm 107 that says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. I've just been telling stories for a long time on stages and in books. And I've always avoided this particular topic, this idea of women and as a gender and how did God design us and what's his role for us and his calling on us. In fact, I've had lots of people over the years ask me to write about this, ask me to speak about this. And I just kept saying, this is not my hill to die on. And this is, other people are writing really well about this. I don't know what I would add to the conversation. I avoided it. And recently I was telling my editor, my most recent book previous to this was a book called Throw the First Punch about spiritual warfare. I told my editor, you know what's harder than writing about the devil is writing about women because people come into the conversation with a whole cocktail of thinking already and they have their childhood experiences and their current church policies and their own understanding maybe of marriage or of men. And we have a culture who's talking to us about women and all of that kind of swirls inside of us. And Sometimes we come into this conversation already a little bit defensive for whatever it is that we believe. And I wanted to start the conversation in a posture of curiosity. So the whole thing started in 2018. The idea of the book part started in 2018 when I was in Israel and I, I love to go there. I love to study there. I love to study Hebrew, not in an academic setting, really more in a Bible study kind of way. My guide was like, Hey, I got a word for you. And I said, okay, tell me. She said, it's not good for a man to be alone, but God created A. And I said, oh, helper, helper suitable for him. I knew that verse, Genesis 2, verse 18. We read it at our wedding 30 years ago. And she said, yeah, that's right. And she said, the word helper in English comes from this Hebrew word, azer, 
E-Z-E-R. I said, okay. She said, we'll find that word 21 times in our Old Testament. And at this point, I knew in, from Hebrew that oftentimes Hebrew words paint word pictures. They're like, they're images more than they are definitions. She said, the picture is of someone who comes in at the end of a battle and saves the day, rides in on that white horse, somebody who gives you help you can't give yourself at that point. And the word suitable is more like the rabbis talk about two planks that are corresponding to one another, that are propped up against one another. It's this picture of these two people in the battle corresponding with one another. She said it's it's probably closer to warriors than it is helper. And I remember hiking the rest of that time thinking to myself, helper kind of sounds like assistant. Like, it's not good for a man to be alone. So God gave him like an assistant to help him accomplish his goal. This is Genesis chapter two. Then, you know, I went back home and I was studying it and I was just thinking about what the word helper means, what it means to correspond, what it means to be in a battle, to offer help to someone, in this case, Adam, that he can't help himself. And I was thinking about Genesis chapter three, and that talks, that's when everybody eats the apple and sin enters the world. And there's some consequences of those sin choices. And we now have pain when we have babies and it's hard to work the ground. It says by the sweat of the brow, Adam will work. And men will rule over women. And I was thinking in 2020, at this point, three, we take medicine so it doesn't hurt when we have our babies. We put fertilizer in the ground and use machines so it's not so hard to work ground. We do all these things to mitigate the fall, but we, we're still working as a collective capital C church to uphold this part of the fall that says men will rule over women. That doesn't make sense. The intelligent designer tells us the chapter before we correspond to one another. And so the combination of like that, those two thoughts together made me curious. And so the first couple of chapters, I write a bunch of things like, you know, gosh, this is not an attempt to be better. Trust me. Like that's biblically, that's fundamentally unbiblical. This is not an attempt for us to be first or better or tops or, or more important. This is just like, what did he mean when he made us? And how do I get into healthy conversations with other people that I trust and with my Bible and all of my Bible resources to get an understanding of a question as big as that. So all the chapters are written like questions because they were my own wonderings and mm-hmm. my own attempt to share my own journal of this is who I talk to and this is what I learned and this is why I'm st- standing. And I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I just want us all to be in the conversation. I love that so much. And I think that is so helpful for women, especially women that feel called to work within the ministry space, because I mean, it's part of the reason why I wrote my book. My book's called She Hears Learning to Listen to Jesus, because it didn't matter if I was in the bush in Africa or New York City or the local church. I heard these same questions from women echoed over and over. First of all was, how do I know that it's really God's voice or is it my own voice or is it the enemy's voice? And then what do I do about it when God is calling me to serve and I'm in a space that isn't necessarily conducive to that, whether it's theologically or family tradition or just insecurity because they don't know where to go for resources or help. And so I wanted to be able to answer that from a biblical perspective and really look through the lens of Jesus and what Jesus says about women. And I think for a lot of women, even when we look at it through the lens of Jesus, you have these obstacles thrown in the way because of this tradition of how the big C church has taught about women in ministry. And 
Yet I would know the call that God put on my life. And I know the impact that even like you have had on my life. I know that God has a call on your life because of the impact that's made on me and other women in leadership. And so it just didn't ever seem to make sense. And so when you learn about the true meaning of the word Azar in Hebrew and what God's design is, it's a perspective shift. I mean, how did that influence your own perspective shift on how God designed women? Well, I mean, I started to think I had a bunch of questions. Like, I know I had heard before, you know, the woman at the well is the first person that ever got told to go and tell. So like, is, is the first missionary, did he send a woman? And we know that her testimony was believed upon because later it tells us in scripture, people believed her testimony that Jesus was who he said. And we know that after he resurrected, you know, the first person that he said, go find the disciples was Mary. He could have just found the disciples himself. He could have had the disciples find him himself. But he gave the very best assignment in the whole Bible to a woman to go tell that Jesus has been resurrected. But I think, and speaking of the Great Commission, you know, kind of famously here in the last year, Rick Warren has come out and said, after his retirement from Saddleback, he's been a part of something called Finishing the Task. And he's pretty public about the fact that he read a bunch of books on the Great Commission for that new role. And the conviction he had that the Great Commission and the four verbs in it, go and make disciples and baptize and teach, those four verbs were not exclusive to men or else God would have said, men go and tell and baptize and teach. He gave that command to men and women. And it's just really modern church history that takes some of those opportunities away from women. And something he said that I thought was so, for lack of a better word, clever, is his understanding that the gospel exploded after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The first couple of hundred years, if you study any kind of church history, you can see the ways in which that message spread throughout Asia Minor, into Africa, all of that. And then it slowed down pretty significantly, and it hasn't really exploded in any way since in the last 1700 years. And that's about when we benched half the team, when we started to put restrictions on the roles of women. And so when I got my head around some of that teaching, which, you know, I had some of that understanding. 2014, I went to Turkey and did the Asia Minor studies and followed the disciples path. I was thinking to myself, I don't know how to say it any plainer. I thought I blamed a lot of the modern day thinking around women on Paul. And I honestly had a bit of a grudge. Like, Paul, I like a lot of things that you say, but there's a couple things because I don't understand them. I don't like them and I want to avoid them. And so I just started to sew together. Like, what do we know Paul did? Not like, let's not just look at what he saw, what he said. Let's like, look at what he did. And he planted churches in women's houses and he ministered alongside of women. And he called, he asked women to do all kinds of activities within the church. He was an empowerer of women in ministry because he was doing what Jesus did, who was empowering women in ministry. Why do we give him so much blame for silencing women in ministry? And again, that is whole chapters about my Paul grudge and the things I didn't understand about the cultural context that helps take the sting out of some of the words he says and honestly take some of the wind out of the sails of people who are trying to keep women quiet. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the cultural context, because I think what happens a lot of times is people, it will be the hill that they die on when they are taking something either out of context or they don't understand the cultural context. And one of the things that I've been really trying to help women understand is 
Paul isn't going to disagree with Jesus. So we yeah. have to read Paul even through the lens of Jesus. And like you said, his behavior, what did he do? He, I mean, he had so many female counterparts in the New Testament that we can't ignore all of that just because of something that maybe we don't understand or was taken out of context in one specific portion. And so I think that plays into this larger question then of what role do men play? As we as women are in this journey of stepping into who God designed us to be, how do men come into that part of the journey? And, you know, how do we even broach those conversations? Because I think for a lot of women, even when women get it, like when when you start studying this for yourself, I mean, even when you got it and you kind of had that aha moment, there is almost this defensive position we have to take because the default position always seems to be, oh, well, women should be silent. I mean, that's the tradition of the church. It's not necessarily the tradition of God or what we actually read in scripture, but you have to almost feel like you're equipped to then have this conversation and almost convince the men. So I would say, I guess maybe my question is twofold. How can you have that conversation with the men in your life, the godly men, and not the ones that are just like, going to tell you to sit down and go home and be quiet, but the ones that love you and maybe can recognize God's call on your life and speak into that situation. And then I guess also the other men in your life, especially, you know, I think of things like different times I've been speaking, whether it's on a stage or even in a one-on-one conversation where there might be a man in the audience and there's an objection because, okay, well, I'm not going to sit under a woman. I mean, that I think is so common, but yet even in those one-on-one conversations, women feel really insecure about that. Even if they know this is what God is calling me to do, I think there's insecurity about having that conversation. So I guess, what is your insight there and how to have some of those difficult conversations? Yeah, that's a great question, Rachel. I mean, I think listening, I'll always listen more than we speak and listen for understanding, not listen to try to win an argument. Nobody wants to be in a conversation where you're trying to be proven wrong, but lots of people want to be in a conversation where I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to understand how you got here. So I, I think listening is probably my number one piece of advice in a conversation like that. And I think a sense of, I mean, this won't be true for all your listeners, but I always say because I know how my dad felt about me and I know how my Jesus feels about me and I know how my, the most important men in my life feel about me, my husband or whomever. I don't actually need the approval or permission of anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like I have a few good men in my life who understand how God made me and those relationships are the most important to me and they fill my cup. So I don't need a conversation that might be difficult with someone in a church that I might be visiting or in, you know, somebody who approaches me on social media or whoever, you know, I like, I don't need them at the end of this conversation to believe what I believe. I'm happy to talk to them about how I got there and I'm happy to learn and listen to them if they want to challenge me on something. And like, those are good conversations to have, but they don't, the most difficult conversations should be with our most intimate of relationships because those are the ones that most matter. And there's a couple of places in the book where I talk about like, if only women are having these conversations, it's not really going to do very much. Like we have to have men engaged in the conversation. And the truth is like the last couple of years when people would ask me like, what are you writing about? And I would say something along these lines. Most men kind of like shook their head. It actually makes sense to them to think that they have had plenty of experiences where women have come in and helped them 
in a way they couldn't help themselves. They've watched women warrior and for prodigal children. They've watched them fight for their marriage. They've watched them, you know, be a prayer warrior. Like they've actually seen that tenacity, that grit, that boldness of women in their lives. And I think the other kind of a couple of other things that like were a good year to put up against my own life was I had to admit that I had kind of subtly absorbed a belief that I didn't think that men were better than women, but I did think they were preferred. All the better stories are in they're all all the best stories are about them. They seem to have the coolest kingdom jobs. God came down in the form of a man. We pray to God, our father, who art in heaven. Like they just they got to be created first. Like there's like a bunch of reasons where I had kind of subtly thought, I know that I'm important. I know I made an image of God. I know it's all good. But they're just a little bit preferred. And I don't think I'm the only person that thinks that. I think there's a lot of that. And so when we start talking about women corresponding our planks, women in a battle given help a man can't give to himself, we start to kind of rattle the cage of that belief system. And Mm. some of the emotion that comes is born out of this desire to be preferred. I mean, it just feels good to be preferred. And so like, I think that mirror and then the other mirror that I put up against myself was I was preparing a, a Mother's Day message one time, and I was just writing down the biblical characteristics that we assign to women that we've seen in God, like nurturing. And and I found all these beautiful verses, and I realized that if I am made in the image of God, then everything we love about women is in the God person. Like, we didn't come from other. We, I'm not trying to feminize God. I'm just saying that all that we love about women came from the image of God. And so if we don't have women in a room or making, co-making a decision or whatever, we've literally robbed ourselves of the reflection of the image of God. Like we only have part of the ingredients in the room. And by bringing women into the story, into their perspective, into the room, their giftings and thoughts and feelings into it, then now we have a, a fuller representation of the image of God. And like some of those things that just start to kind of feel like, okay, that's shaken up what I had believed. I hope that those open, there's like create little cracks in the door for Bible study and discipleship and good conversation and all the things that help either reinforce the thinking that we have or challenge thinking that somebody gave to us once upon a time, but it really never was from God. Yeah, and and I think I want to unpack that a little bit because I think that is a very common objection or a question that women struggle with, just this idea of being made in the image of God, but it's a male God. And, you know, one of the things that you hit on was just some of the qualities that God has that is evidenced in women. And, And I think just this idea of you know, even the picture of Adam and Eve, it was Adam and Eve together that was a complete picture of God's image. It wasn't just, you know, otherwise it would have just been Adam by himself, you know, but it wasn't. God still created Eve. And so, you know, maybe could you speak a little bit more about that and just this understanding of what it actually truly means to be made in the image of God and the fact that he's a male God, how does that 
shake out when we're talking about, like you said, we're not feminizing these qualities of God, but yet there is this very real aspect of being made in his image. And there are things that show up more in women than they do in men even. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a good conversation to have because in the Western part of the world, if I was to say to you or your listeners, tell me who God is. We would use words like he's omniscient or he's sovereign or he's creator or he's the savior or whatever. Words that we have learned define who we know God to be. If I was on the Eastern side of the world and I said, tell me who God is, they would say God is like a rock. God is living water. They would have pictures because the idea of God is so big. We can't, there is no definition. There is no way we can wrap our mind around him. He's shade. He's his eagle's wings. He's and he and he knew that we would not have any ability to wrap our finite brains around his infinite self. So he gave us pictures to help us with our understanding. And I think the male female relationship is another one of the pictures that he's given us to help us understand who he is. If I think he's only a male god, I'm not getting the full picture of who he is. He gave part of who he is to the male species and part to the women. And I, I want to say that like I started putting on my social media questions about this topic because I just wanted the conversation to get going during my writing process. And one woman wrote in and went like, this sounds exhausting. I don't want to be a warrior. I don't want to be fighter. I don't want to bring help to someone that they can't help themselves. Like this sounds like one more thing I have to do. And I was thinking to myself, God made us all very unique. Some women I know he gave helping gifts to you. He gave behind the scene gifts to you. He gave those supporting giftings too. And so if the word helper, it actually fits them. It fits the way God made them. I don't want them to feel like this discussion is somebody saying they're not enough. That's not true at all. That's how God made them. But there are a whole bunch of women made in his image that want to lead. And I, I have seven daughters. And I think part of what I was thinking about is the emerging generation of women are listening to the world say, there's no glass ceiling. There's room for you at the highest levels of everything you want to do. You know, you got lots of girl power. The Barbie movie made literally $1 billion with this message. If the church doesn't have a true reflection, I don't want us to be following the culture. Don't hear that. I'm not saying that. But if we don't understand how God's made us and the world is making room for women, then gifted women are going to take their skills out into the world. And I have a huge respect for marketplace ministry. I don't think that gifted Christian women shouldn't go out into the marketplace. They should just have a choice if God's called them to ministry to feel like they can use their gifts within the church anywhere that God has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really important. One of the things I always talk about on the show is reading scripture for what it says, not assigning our ideas or our theological standpoint to it. And so I think it's so important to read Genesis, read how Eve was created for what it actually says. And, you know, one of the things that I think women are very familiar with is the women in Proverbs 31, but they're not necessarily used to this idea of women being referred to as a warrior. But you talk about how there is a lot of similarity between the warrior of Eden and the Proverbs 31 woman. And I love that because it unpacks something that scripture says. It's not It's not us assigning roles to ourselves based off of what we're taught in church. This is really reading what scripture says. And so what similarities do these two women have in common? 
Yeah, I don't know about your listeners or even about you, Rachel, but I, most Christian women I know have kind of a love-hate relationship with Proverbs 31 woman. Like, she has this impossibly high standard, and could I ever be all of those things? And yet she's super inspiring, and how do I try to live up to some of the examples that she set? And I used to say, I, I don't want to be a Proverbs 31 woman, I want to be a Proverbs 28 woman, which that's not very fair to say, because of course I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. But Proverbs 38 says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. I think that the Proverbs 31 woman I mean, she is out there hustling. She understands the world with which God has placed her. She understands her role within that world. And she is not holding any part of herself back. She's considering fields and she's tending to her children and she has it all going on. And I think that's the opportunity I want for women today in 2023. I want them to live all the parts of themselves that God has made them to be. And somebody accused me recently of trying to emasculate men. And I said, well, I don't think that if women are all that they're supposed to be, that in correspondence, men are supposed to be less of who they are made to be. I think that when I am more of who God made me to be, I'm actually calling out and creating space for the men in my life to be all that God made them to be. Like, mm-hmm. let's, if we are who God asks us to be, it should not be at the expense of men. It should be to the benefit of men. Mm-hmm. And so, it brings up the point that sometimes, again, we come into these conversations and we we feel protective of the way that we saw our parent do it or not do it, or the way that our pastor told us to do it or not do it, or the way the world is saying to do it or not do it. Like we, And I just, my encouragement to people, if they read the book is like, just, you know how you feel, like put all that on a piece of paper so you don't forget it in the midst of all the conversation and then have an open mind and just open your Bible that this particular book has far more biblical references than any of the other books that I've written, not because the other books aren't biblically literate, but because I just kept wanting to say, it's right here. Look right there. What do you think this means right here? And drawing people back to scripture. It doesn't matter at the end of the day when I think about things. I, again, just hope people revisit their understanding in that revisiting, they feel freedom and unleashed to embrace the calling that God has for them. And yeah, that's, I mean, honestly, that's my whole heart. In whatever context or culture or way that that looks to them, go to your Bibles and be all that God made you to be. Oh, I love that so much. So I think maybe my final question is, how should women live differently if they're living with this perspective that they're warriors? And Not that being a warrior means that you're not also a helper. Like you said, if you have a more Tibbin personality or you just have a special gifting in different areas, it's not the call to be more. It's the call to live as God actually created us to be within the fullness of that. So how should that look? How should we live differently as a result of that? I mean, for me, it's caused me to listen more to God and assume less. It's one, it's, it's caused me to want to ask God for more discernment. It's asked, I've been asking the Lord for more capacity. I've been telling him, Hey, when I run out of patience or self control or joy or peace or whatever, I ask you for it and you give it to me. I want more capacity. I'll spend it on you, but help me be and do all that you asked me. And it would be a misunderstanding if anybody would finish this podcast or finish the book and think that I think that God wants to use us more than he wants to love us. I don't think he's nearly that concerned about how he uses us as he does in us understanding how much he loves us. That's principle and primary. 
the getting used in the kingdom part. It's just the business of God's kids working in God's kingdom to advance it, to, to be salt and light and create little pockets of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Like that's just the business of life on earth. It's not the principal understanding is how God sees you and loves you and your little ongoing engagement and love relationship with the father and the working out of that love relationship ends up causing us to forgive our neighbors and it causes us to pursue our children or our spouse or use a particular gift he's given us in a way that brings glory to him and not you and that's the working out of this faith with fear and trembling and so it's admittedly this discussion ends up falling in that secondary space which is what do i get to do now because of like what does this what are my limitations but let's not ever miss that he loves us and has always loved us uniquely mm-hmm. and decided to make us women. Mm-hmm. And we know that everything that God does is intentional and anything that he calls us to is part of the identity that he's already built into us. So I love that so much. Well, Beth, would you, as we close out, would you pray for our listeners today? Because I know that the first time that I learned about this perspective. It was a shift for me. Like it was a radical shift for me. And it took me some time to even get that settled in my spirit. Kind of like you said, you had to just kind of think about it. And I think for many of the women that are listening today, that might be the case. And so just, I think from the experience that you've had, would you pray for that woman that is maybe hearing this for the first time or maybe remembering this, you know, maybe they heard it in the past that they're remembering this and pray specifically, I think for how that is going to impact their relationship with the Lord and their relationship with other people. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for that privilege. Hello, Lord Jesus. The end of this conversation and all conversations, we want to have deeper fellowship with you, more understanding of you. We want you to see our obedience, more faithfulness, our desire to be aligned with you. So, Lord, any effort is not to achieve or accomplish not to prove, it's just to abide. So Lord, I pray for women who may feel anxious about this topic, anxious for any buttons that push yours or any tension they feel or any uncomfortability, any way that this might cause them to think about their marriage or their church or their dad or any of those really important people in our life. Lord, I pray that women would find themselves deep in your word and that you, Holy Spirit, you would guide them in that. You would grant understanding. Lord Jesus, I pray the result of any conversation, any study, would be someone who's living even more into the life and the good works you've called them advanced to do. That's, I just so utterly believe that you've created us for more than we're currently allowing in our lives. So Lord, we just want to allow, we want to make room for your Spirit to strengthen us so that we can give that strength to others, encourage us so we can encourage others. We want to understand how you fight for us so we can fight for others. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We pray all these things in your holy and precious and resurrected name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today, Beth. Can you share with people where they can find you or where they can get a hold of your book? I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but just tell us all the things. Absolutely. So the ministry that we didn't really talk about that much today, but my day job is I work with orphans and vulnerable children, and that ministry is called Back to Back Ministries, back to number two, back.org. I um, blog on a website called recklessfaith.com, 
And you can find me with my name on all the social media channels, Beth Cucumber. Great. Well, I'm so excited for this book to get into the hands of women everywhere. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rachel. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.